Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, January 24th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Since December 2018, we have brought you over 100 feature poets from eight countries on five continents. In order to ensure that we continue featuring contemporary poets, we would really appreciate it if you would go to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate to support our work. With us today is Kay Renee, with whom I will be discussing her poem, I'm Afraid of Arms, and my poem, Essential. Before we get into that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of January 25th. On Monday, January 25th, from 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information at labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound signed events. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound site events. You can also find them on Facebook, again, at Labyrinth Amsterdam. From 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground Replay Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their The Loop writing workshop with Carol Scott. You can find out more information at Carol underscore Scott. That's at K-A-R-O-O underscore S-K-A-A on Instagram. Again, that's at K-A-R-O-O underscore S-K-A-A on Instagram. On Tuesday, January 26th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their weekly first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. And again, this is a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 5 to 6.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, Center for Imagination in the Borderlands will be hosting their The Power of Poetry in America, an evening with poet laureates Joy Harjo and Natasha Trethaway. You can find out more information and register at imaginationborderlands.com dot asu dot edu forward slash poet hyphen laureate again that's imagination borderlands dot asu dot edu forward slash poet hyphen laureate from 7 to 8 30 p.m eastern standard time city of asylum 
will be hosting their Latinx and Proud Reading series featuring Sundress publication authors Faye Hernandez, Xochitl Ulisa, Brumejo, Rodney Gomez, and Sarah A. Chavez. You can find out more information and register at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. From 6 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their Veterans Writing Circle with Marco Pina. You can find out more information at piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. Again, that's piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively undistanced open mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. That's Major Muse, M-A-J-O-R-M-U-Z-E on Instagram. From 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground We Play Dirty Open Mic on Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. On Wednesday, January 27th, from 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory Writing Workshop by Janice. And you can find out more information at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops html. Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops html. From 8 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut, in conjunction with Oxford Arab Society, will be launching their monthly Last Wednesday Poetry Night. And you can find out more information at Sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or Sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. Again, that's at Sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or at Sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. From 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops dot html. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops dot html. On Thursday, January 28th from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. From 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, City of Asylum will be hosting Between Poetry and Performance, Storyboarding 101 with Andrew Edwards. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's cityofasylum.org. From 6.30 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hudson Valley Writers' Center will be hosting the third of their six event series, Finding Your Poetic Voice with Amy Homan. You can find out more information at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. 
Again, that's writercenter.org forward slash calendar. From 6 to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, the Labriola Center and Tate Walker will be hosting their virtual open house, open mic night, Indigenous Matriarch Poetry Edition. You can find out more information at na.eventscloud.com forward slash 600790. Again, that's na.eventscloud.com forward slash 600790. From 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their Poets Translate Poets, featuring Elisa Diaz-Castello, Elsa Cross, Jorge Ortega, Anthony Seidman, and David Schuch. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar.html. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar.html. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Los Angeles Poet Society will be hosting their monthly One Mic, One Globe with Alex Petunia. You can find out more information at the Poetic Petunia on Instagram. Again, that's at the Poetic Petunia on Instagram. On Friday, January 29th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop, and you can find out more information and register at survivor.andrina.lian. That's at survivor.andrena.lean.a. Again, that's at survivor.andrena.lean.a. From 6 p.m. West African time, Graciano and Warren will be hosting his Corona versus Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warren. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. On Saturday, January 30th, from 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. On Sunday, January 31st, from 4 to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hudson Valley Writer Center will be hosting their An Afternoon with Jane Hirschfield and Rachel Elisa Griffiths. You can find out more information at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's writercenters.org forward slash calendar. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Kay Renee. Hi, Kay. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hey, thanks for welcoming me. I appreciate it. Cool. So you brought with you the poem, I'm Afraid of Arms. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, no problem. So I go by Kay Renee. My daytime job is actually working as a, I will say, growing chemist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm studying it through science right now. It's pretty intense, but I really love working the left side of my brain. I'm pretty analytical, so it helps, that helps work it out. Yeah. And um, otherwise, I have all 
always enjoyed poetry, like, as a whole, but I haven't taken it as seriously as much as I have the last couple months of my life. So, actually, I just remembered this the other day, but in high school, I actually had poems published in, like, a little high school, like, poetry conglomeration book. Cool. And I totally forgot about that until, like, a couple days ago. <laughs> so, that's actually when I first really got into realizing, like, hey, I can actually kind of write. Um, nice. I remember just, it was a poem like, expressing, like, my inner, like, kind of horror, darker thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt good to put it on paper and be like, hey, I can, like, express this people accept it. So mm-hmm. That was really awesome. And after that, I was really into spoken word because someone at my high school was a very good performer in it. And I just really admired him, and I wanted to essentially be like him. The way that he put, like, his life experiences into such a beautiful cadence, I wanted to be like that. But I never got into it seriously. Mm. However, when I went to undergrad, I did um, make my minor creative writing in the hopes that having that minor along with my chemistry major, I'd be able to somehow explore it. And now I have. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Recently, I interviewed another poet who also works in science. We were discussing about how creativity is quite essential in the sciences as well. It's about application. It's also when, when it comes to, you know, theoretical science without imagination, you wouldn't be able to really think of how what we know of science now can apply to something we haven't really gotten proof for yet. Right, yeah, I would agree. Like, I don't know if you've heard of the movement of, instead of STEM, it being STEAM, where it's science engineering arts and mathematics yeah but um people are trying to create that um, idea of the intersection of arts and sciences because i think people realize more and more hey it's actually good if you can work the both sides of your brain but think at the same time because it helps see the world in different ways so like for science i mean if you know how to write well you're going to get you know policies passed for science so right. just even having that small skill that you would think, oh, writing poetry, whatever, like you would never know, like getting that writing skill can really help you in your career. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of science, there is a lot of writing involved and, and you know, it's not enough that you make discoveries and whatnot or do experiments and whatnot, but you ha- have to be able to communicate that information to people. Effective communication is especially important now in our society, given how anti-science our society seems to be moving. Exactly, right, right. I think that if people like, are able to accept that people can have like, different sides of them, like, if people know I'm a scientist, they're just like, oh, she's so smart, like, she can't, like, relate to us. Like, in reality, I think that people would be more open to science if they could learn it, like, through rap. Like, mm-hmm. They could learn it through, like, a painting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people are trying to do that. Like, I'm trying to make a rap about chemistry personally. Cool. <laughs> so it's like, I think people would be more open to it if they realized, hey, we don't have to just read a textbook to learn about this subject. Right, right, exactly. I, I think that that goes into our sort of culture of trying to put people in little boxes and, and right. like yeah. seeing people in such black and white terms, right, rather than a lot of gre- gradient. And it's it's much better if we were able to say, oh, yeah, just because somebody is a scientist doesn't mean that they don't like the arts or can't do arts. or It doesn't make any sense. It's not like you do science 24-7. The fact is you are a person. Right. <laughs> so it's really cool that you have minored in creative writing and that it does come in handy. It's just absolutely 
useful as a base degree period. No matter what you do, you need to communicate to people. Correct. Yeah. So um, if you don't mind reading your poem for us, then we can, we can talk about it after that. Sure thing. I'm afraid of arms. Scene one. The world is a museum and I'm trapped inside. I try to hide my small frame, but it's too late. The claw, he reaches down and pinches me by the face. I need space, but my voice is lost in a black hole. Scene two. A whole new world of sharp branches that want to give me greetings. I've tried fleeting, but they're hot on my trail. They call this friendship, but I didn't listen to the voicemail. Send me a package of words of gratitude instead. My head is where I find love, not this atrocity called physical touch. Scene 3 Now there's a foreign snake around my waist. I hate the suffocating embrace. Please, I can't breathe. I've been bitten by insecurity, and I don't need your poisonous remedy of attachment, of trust. Trust? That's in the dust when I wake up and realize you don't complete me. Stay away from me. I like to be alone when I'm in misery. Scene 4 They are parallel to his torso. Too parallel. I fail to light a match and melt the ice that freezes him still. Too still. I'm desperate to see life flow through his limbs and his eyes. Surprise you with your energy like you used to. No. I have to conclude. I'm afraid of arms. Thank you. No problem. I forgot to ask you previously, uh, do you remember what you wrote? The subject that your your poems in high school were on. The first one that I remember, it was kind of more abstract, kind of like this one is actually. It was based around a time in my life where I was um, in a really depressive and anxious state. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just describing how people that know very fancy vocabulary and rhyming. Like, I was just playing with the rhymes, mm -hmm. honestly, without making anything concrete. And somehow, I guess, the publisher liked it, and they were like, hey, put this in the book. Cool. So, that was pretty cool. Yeah, but I don't remember the title or anything. I just remember I used the word abhor instead of hate. And, like, people were just like, I had to look that up to look up what it meant. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, that's me using, you know, out there vocabulary. <laughs> the other poem I do remember, and actually a poem, it was like a short micro nonfiction piece. Mm. I named it titled it rather Portals. And mm. it was about a moment where I saw a young lady crying in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And she was like crying, you know, pretty significantly. And I like looked over in the mirror like while washing my hands. The metaphor was her eyes were portals like into her pain. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk to her, I didn't know who she was, but I could just see she was really hurting. And I didn't know what to say because I was very introverted and didn't know like how to say hey are you okay blah blah blah. I kind of just stared at her eyes in the mirror instead. Right. And she then proceeded to just, you know, clean her face with a paper towel, put on some mascara, and like, and so I think it was like about that she felt like she had to hide. She didn't want to, she didn't want to let anyone into her portals. Right. So that's what that was about. And yeah, that one was in like, I guess, a narrative book and not a poetry book. So I got it mixed up. That one wasn't a poem, but it was another publication that I had. Okay. Well, still very cool. Thanks. Going back to this poem, I'm Afraid of Arms, that you just read for us. When did you write this? This was written when I was trying to 
process how I felt about intimacy. Mm. Not necessarily the sexual kind, just closeness in general. Right. And it was spawned by the passing away of a close friend of mine. Oh. Because this person was someone that I wanted to be closer to. And I don't feel that way about a lot of people at all. Like, all right, here's some background. I barely like to hug my family. That's how much I'm not into physical intimacy <laughs> or any like sort of showing of like saying, oh, like when people just say like casually, I love you, it makes me very nervous and I don't respond back. Right. Um, so this person, he was someone who I wanted to be closer to and I didn't get to in the way that I wanted. Mm-hmm. But um, so this was me trying to look into the path of how I previously not enjoyed the ideas of people and intimacy. And then, you know, final conclusion is I still don't enjoy it because I didn't get to experience it in the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. However, um, yeah, so, like, in, in this moment, this is me, I would call, like, as a, you know, a very, very, I'm still a novice poet, but this is still very novice because it's very abstract. I think that readers will have trouble understanding what I'm even talking about in this poem. I know because I'm in my head. I get in my head a lot. <laughs> and this is my way of expressing that. But it, in the way that I read it at a spoken word event, people were just like, wow, this is really good, but we don't understand. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like this is more of a, not a failure, but more of a definitely a prototype form in terms of this is me just, you know, getting out my feelings. Something really honestly traumatic happens to me. And so this is how it comes out. It comes out kind of in chunks that make sense to me, but don't make sense to other people. So I appreciate the space to explain it. Yeah, uh, no problem. And I, I feel that poetry serves different functions for different people, right? But first and foremost, for poets, it's about expressing themselves, expressing their story, without necessarily wanting other people to understand directly what it means. Sometimes it has a hidden aspect because it, it's so personal. I don't feel like every poet necessarily wants the reader to understand everything about a, a certain poem. Right, right. And I think that's that's one of the major difference between poet, poetry and prose, at least prose that's in something like, uh, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, like uh, technical writing. That's all about trying to get people to understand. I love this poem. I, I just think it's... It's wonderful in its abstractness. It's wonderful It's in its real qualities of it. It does not necessarily need to be understood exactly as a poet intended because as any piece of art, once it's out there, it will take on a life of its own. People will read things into it. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about art is that People who resonate with your poem, it will resonate for more their personal reasons than your personal reasons. Agreed. The other thing is, I feel like another wonderful thing about good poetry is that every time you read it, you get something else out of it. And and that's true with other forms of literature as well. This will be the at least the third time that I've had contact with your poem. I did not get a sense of the last section until I was reading along with you reading it this time. And then I realized that 
something in the fourth section was different and that something might have happened to that person that you were describing. So again, I, I think it's, it's nice to be able to go back to a piece of poetry and then realize, oh yeah, there's, there's another layer to it. Yes, I love that feeling too. I appreciate that. Yeah. When did you write this poem? Like, was it recent or was it further? Definitely recent because the task of my friend was recently at the end of May. Uh -huh. So it would have been like either like at the end of May or like the beginning of June. And again, this is like, again, I call this my phase of like, I, I've been through multiple phases in the stage of grief. And the, when I wrote this one, I was definitely much in the much more despondent stage mm -hmm. in the stage of really not knowing what I wanted to say yeah. in a stage where I was still processing like my own mental insecurities right. and the tragedy at the same time yeah. and this is exactly what is the result of it I mean as you noted most of the poem is about me but mm -hmm. then it changes at some point and that shows like the conglomeration of my own struggles now this new tragedy that I have to balance and not even balance it's crushing me at this point not anymore I would say not as much I should say mm. but it's this is the this poem is the result of that like horrible combination of what was happening in my brain so right right yeah it's it's very tough to write about a subject that you know, you, you want to write about, you want to process. At the same time, it's painful to get into the processing of it. So um, you can see that I've written poems as well where I don't touch on the central core of what I want to write about until much later in the poem. Yes. I can say that while I have written creative works, you know, before starting this up in, I want to say, April 2020, that I had other things written, but they were more so just processing other pain I was going through, and I didn't like you know make the effort to polish or make it published or anything. It was just like me expressing myself. Right. Um, but this, I'm actually trying not necessarily publish something, but I'm trying to make creative projects, and at the moment they are very much centered around the traumatic event of my friend passing. So right. now I'm in a much more healthy space doing it. Mm -hmm. This poem represents when I was in the much more chaotic I want the person to come back not that I still I still do but definitely in a more desperate sort of way right. as I try to express in this poem right right yeah it's it's really really tough to be um in the moment of a tragedy and having to talk about it and also try to protect yourself from being overwhelmed by the pain right correct I had a good friend tell me that at some point, I would have to, if it was causing me more mental distress, I had to stop thinking about the event. That's what would let me. Honestly, I fell into panic attacks in terms of when I would think about and I just couldn't take it. So she then encouraged me to just think about the middle. Think about what he did enjoy, how right. he did live. Right. Like, that's what you should like work on to process it. And by doing so, I bring much more uplifting creative works about the person yeah. and it's just I can feel myself growing much more healthy compared I mean it's nice to talk about the sad part in terms of I wouldn't have been able to 
score. Like, this poem was good for me, even if it was painful. But yeah. However, I enjoyed capturing moments with the person in a more shining way, rather than a dark, darkened way. So, my works about him now are much more, it's just more happiness and admiration. Mm. And it's just being about me crying, so right. much better. Right, right. And I think because you have remarked on how you really like Brandon Williamson's poem, well, actually, the, like what he talked about in terms of his poem or what inspired him to write his poem. And I can, I can see now talking with you why that's so relevant, you know. You do have to process the pain, and obviously it's important to process that pain. As I said before, at the same time, you need to protect yourself so that you can process that pain without making yourself so hurt that um, it actually causes you harm. Right. I, I recognized that um, soon after, you know, honestly, the day after I found out about the um, tragedy, it was, I was in a very dark space, and I realized, you know, if this can't keep up, I had to actually go down to Here's my house, like, ask my parents and loved ones, like, you need to watch me. I didn't follow up with anything, but in my head I was like, or else I'm going to hurt myself. Right. So, yeah, I did recognize that. And, yeah, going back to Brandon's poem, I really did enjoy it. But I think, to a certain extent, you know, yeah, the whole battleship thing is on. I think that it can be good to distract yourself for a time being, if that's the only way you process like, it right now. Right. But I realized, like, when I would try to, like, you know, quote-unquote be normal, like, play video games or, you know, just go back to my school work, it did not work for the first couple of weeks. Mm. I did not process well at all. And I've gotten much better, but, you know, when I'm not busy, the first thing my brain goes to is my friend. I mean, that's just the reality I'm in right now. Right. Um, I imagine if I'll have a more open space later on. Right. That's just the space I'm in right now. And so kind of, like, Yes, I do need the space to process it. How I'm doing it right now is just through creative writing. And I'm hoping to inspire other people to continue with any sort of, honestly, any event in your life like that's not necessarily traumatic, but something that's hard to process. I mean, I saw a the other day saying, don't get over it, deal with it. In mm. terms of, don't just try to push it down. Like in my poem, like I basically I figured out about myself. I kept pushing away the fact that I felt severely uncomfortable trying to express their feelings to me in a way that I was uncomfortable with, which is failing in this form of physical touch that I was not a fan of. Mm -hmm. And I would just, my therapist called it benign neglect in terms of just to keep the peace, just so I wouldn't have to think about it. I just didn't say, hi, this makes me uncomfortable, can you stop? Mm -hmm. And felt like my feelings were invalid because I was like, well, especially in scene three, mm -hmm. I'm not actually being, you know, assaulted. I'm not actually being physically hurt. I'm just being a baby. And but that is the exact kind of mindset that threw me into I'm just pushing down with it's really hurting me. And that was the realization that I had a couple months ago of saying, I have been hurting myself by being hurt by other people. I've been, like, calling myself there, calling myself, like, not achieving enough because of all this, like, discomfort I bottle up. It's amazing how, like, 
unrelated situations will affect your mental progress later on. Right. And I discovered that through going to therapy. A huge advocate that if it's for you. There are other uh, like ways to get help, mental help, like you know, medication, spiritual relationships, religion. I personally like am a um, Christ follower, and that is really helping through my mental journey as well. Mm-hmm. But it's and then with the therapy in, in in combination with my faith, that just really helped me find who I am. Okay. And I realized instead of being afraid of my own arms, which I describe as honestly straightjacking myself beforehand, mm-hmm. or I make the realization that this is how I'm just dis- why I'm discomforted. This is why I don't like myself. Mm-hmm. I was straightjacking myself. Mm-hmm. But after I made that realization, after a lot of crying, um, mm-hmm. I realized I can love myself. Mm-hmm. I can embrace who I am, even if I'm a little broken inside. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing when you realize that. And so, which is just another layer to the poem that I'll you know, give the listeners insights on it. So, the first person that I just openly told about the realization was my friend. Mm. And I realized that he was a person who I shared a lot with. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned in the poem, my head is where I find love in terms of wonderful conversations, meaningful conversations rather, and just having someone to listen and be there. Not even necessarily just mm-hmm. is what I needed. Mm-hmm. That's what this person was. And that's when I realized, hey, I'm hugging myself right now. I'm learning how to like embrace myself, but like. You know, once they get it together, it'd be cool, but get to know each other quite more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know the, the aftermath. So it's like I had to, after that happening, I had to relearn how to hug myself because I was so distraught right. by this, like, oh, finally, when I understand what intimacy is, like self love, now I want to do a different type of love, it, it's gone. So it's like, a new way of learning to hug myself, essentially, is what's happening now. Right. And I'm glad to pursue it. Like, I, it's hard. You know, a lot of people, like, you're going to say, I'm sorry, wow, this is so terrible. But, you know, honestly, I've now learned to be grateful for it in terms of not a lot of people can say they learn what love is in this manner. Every day, I wish it didn't have to be this way. Right. But I try to enjoy the fact that this is a really unique way to learn about self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to give honor to my friend in the best way of my creative writing and honor to myself, honestly. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like what the, kind of like how you said, rereading this poem. In the moment, I was very broken. I was very tired. I was very sad. And that's what it expresses on a first read. So reading it in a much healthier space, I see like, this is how I'm growing. Mm-hmm. I'm learning what I value. And it happened in a pretty tragic way, I admit. Like I said, I wish it didn't have to be this way. Right. I used to say I wish it could have been me sometimes. But, you know, it's how it is. I'm on the side of reality. It's on another side. And honestly, I'm still connected to him. I still feel close. Mm-hmm. And if that's what's going to help me to hug myself and that's what I'll do yes I will continue to have conversations with this person out loud even if he is not here like mm-hmm. that's just that's just the kind of feeling that I'm doing and I hope that with this like transparency that I'm doing right now that people are able to understand that it's okay to heal however you need to mm-hmm. um, don't let other people tell you 
that's weird. Which is what I worried about when I first started, like, talking out loud. Like, my third, like, fine little reminders. Um, I was like, it's very strange. But with comfort from my therapist and friends, they were just like, what I'm saying now, it's okay to heal how you need to, especially if it's healthy. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I think every everybody has their own timeline as well. And there are people in your lives who might be trying to hurry you toward certain stages. And if you're not ready, you're not ready. It's not, it's, you know, it's not them living their life. Uh, It's you living your life. So I really appreciate you explaining more about this poem. Uh, I did not realize again in scene three that you were talking about your own arms, that you even had this discomfort with you hugging yourself. You did mention when you first read this to us that it was because of an earlier incident in your life and I don't know if you want to tell us about that. Oh, sure. And actually, again, I know it's kind of confusing. With scene three, in this poem, I didn't get to express this straightjacket analogy that I just told you now. Mm -hmm. In scene three, that is actually in reference to people who... I didn't necessarily have a solid romantic relationship with them, but they seemed to push physicalness too harshly. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, nothing particularly negative happened, but in my brain, it did. And so for a second, I was considering this person like, oh, they might be a cool person to get to know more. But essentially, these people push physicalness either too much or hinted at it too much and I just felt like myself like falling apart like no I don't kind of like closeness I don't want to do this please go away so but I I didn't feel comfortable expressing that to anyone honestly because I was like again I was like well I didn't actually need to file a report even though I feel like it I'm not actually been violently hurt so I guess my feelings are invalid and I'm just a weirdo so that's actually what that scene is about Right. But yes, I will answer your um, well, one question. Actually, let me oh, yeah, let me interrupt you for a second. I feel like sure. that's the thing about personal boundaries, right? And getting to know or, and respect individuals. It's not about some kind of societal standard where we say, okay, this constitutes where you should feel comfortable, but rather on a individual level, what you feel comfortable and if people do not respect that, I think you have every right to feel like somebody violated your sense of trust and your sense of boundaries. Whether or not other people might say, oh, yeah, that's not a big deal or something like that. Because, you're, again, you're not living by other people's standards. You're living by your own standards. I think people show their ability to respect other people's boundaries by getting to know a person as a person rather than some kind of, oh, she's a girl, therefore I, I must do ABC to her. You know, that, that sort of right. way, which is basically like stereotyping. Um, Correct. I think you know that as well already that, you know, you're not weird because you feel uncomfortable being hugged for whatever reason because those are your reasons. 
people who want to get close to you physically have to understand you for you rather than just said, oh, that's a girl, I'm going to hit that. And that's my goal. That's that's their issue to work out. It's not yours. Right. Exactly. Just, I think it can, it can definitely be difficult for people coming from different backgrounds and expecting, like, oh, like, even again, we're just friends. Like, we'll expect, oh, in a non-sexual way, oh, she's a girl, so I'm going to give her a hug. And I'm just like, what made you think there's some sort of law book that says, oh, for all females, must give them hugs that have just fist bumps or, you know, hands. But, you know, it just, it always bothered me, but I could never express it. Right, right. I think you are doing it, certainly, with this poem. And, and it's good. I'm not sure if I heard you correctly. I think you mentioned before that you have come to the point where you can tell people, I'm not comfortable with this. Can you not do that? I think you said that, right? You know, to be completely honest, since the time of COVID, I've only been with my family. And I admittedly, I've gotten better mm-hmm. with um, expressing like my love for them because it's legitimate for them. Mm-hmm. And in terms of other people, I definitely still think it's hard for me to express it to friends, mm-hmm. especially if I know like their love language happens to be physical touch. And like they're not trying to hurt me or trying to take advantage of me. They are just doing what makes them feel loved. Right. So I, it, it's hard for me to express it to them. If it was, you know, a stranger or people who I only know on the surface, I would definitely say, hey, you know, let me go for a fist bump. Um, let me go for a high five. Because I don't really do hugs. You know, side hugs, even those, I struggle with hugs. Right, right. So it, it, it does depend on the person. Right. And I, like I said, since this quarantine time, I haven't had a chance to practice that skill, I guess, of saying, hey, my no actually means no. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I'm on that quite yet. <laughs> but I feel like the progress that I've made, I think I will definitely do better. And I think it's just funny that COVID has happened because, like, quite literally, I don't think I'm going to be able to hug um, <laughs> any outside people who are my family, like, just for the, um, for the virus reason. So right. I think it's pretty, I want to say abusing, but it's also kind of sad because this is a sad situation. Right. But it's, yeah, so like at this point, I'm blocked by, you know, the six-foot rule, right. not um, by my own personal standards, even though those still stand. So I think I will do better, though. Yeah, and yeah. the time being when, you know, the world does get back to a more balanced state. Mm, yeah. And I think it takes practice. It really takes a lot of practice, especially... If you have friends all your life who are more touchy-feely or whose love language, as you said, are more through physical touch, it's hard to practice your own thing because that's what people around you are used to. You know, I think that's that's where the communication comes in. Um, But it's always difficult because we're, as women, period, especially in even in this society we are not socialized to ask for what we want we're told to be kind of acquiescent to to accommodate to sacrifice (laughs) and and somehow going after what we want somehow has this uh, negative association with it yeah i definitely think it's an idea of 
well, we talked about traditionally set masculine and feminine roles of how, you know, traditionally males are the ones who, like, they pursue what they want. And they establish their masculinity and their strength and honor. And, you know, the woman is just there to be won as a prize. Mm -hmm. To just follow in the shadow of the male hierarchy. And I think that's definitely being broken down much more in nowadays. However, we have a lot of work to do. There are still predominantly white, rich males who are in power. And we can see that very clearly in what's happening in today's age. So I think we've got a lot of work to do. But I think it's the glass ceilings are definitely breaking. Hopefully cracking. Hopefully cracking. I don't know. I'm cracking. Not, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not as optimistic. I feel. Um, but um, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep hitting at it until it cracks and just fully breaks. But going back to that question, sorry <laughs> that I interrupted you from answering. You were saying that you would you would share that um, the backstory. Yeah. Sure. So. This is, uh, let's flash back to why I called scene one at the studio. I am either four or five years old, and I discover, I think, that I'm just more of an introvert. So I start crying when I'm in large crowds of people, and it's very loud. Mm. And I describe it as a museum because there's so much to look at, so much to drink in, but it slightly overwhelms me. It's yes. kind of scary, kind of how like a little kid would feel in a very big museum. Yeah. I also use the metaphor museum because a museum usually, unless it's like a special kid's museum, is usually a place where you're not supposed to touch archives. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's hard for me to grasp, which is why I pushed it down in my brain. But some person, a man I remember, mm-hmm. was like started um, touching my hair. And I was just like, I didn't say anything, I just turned around like, what do you know is? Like, does anyone else see this happening? <laughs> no, I, no one says anything, and I'm just like, and then the person proceeds to touch my face and give me a smile that makes me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, just, hold up, I'm a five-year-old, does anyone see this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the person walks and I am, oh, I forgot to give you the actual setting. I'm in a cafeteria mm. at a summer camp. Mm. And so I'm just like, there's a bunch of people. Like, does anyone understand? Like, does anyone see this? Mm. And because no one said, oh, hey, are you all right? I just thought, well, I guess this is normal. I guess this just happens to my real girls. And so I just pushed it down. I didn't like it at all, mm. but I just bottled it up and swept it under the rug, as they say. Mm. Wow. So he started touching your hair, and then he touched your face? Is that right? Yes. Okay. It was, it was, they were very slow, calculated movements, right. but it made it all the worse, because it drug it out, and I was it felt like a horrible slow motion to me. Right. And so I just didn't I didn't understand. I didn't understand why he was smiling. I didn't understand why he then walked away and I never saw him again. Which is what also made me think in my five-year-old brain, was that just an imagination? Was that like a monster mm. that wasn't actually real? Oh, maybe that's why no one saw him. And so 
that's why I also didn't say anything. It's something that I pushed down. But I've always remembered, obviously, to this day. It's what tapped into my kind of mental breakdown when I realized, oh, all these discomforting situations I've been pushing down in my head. This is what has caused me to, like, harbor insecurity all my life. Great. And this was the one of the first things I thought about, so. Right, right. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And, and more sorry that nobody said anything that, <sighs> yeah. This is why people always say it's very important for bystander training, right? Because there are predators who will do things in broad daylight in front of people that are so shocking that people don't know how to handle it. And I don't know if you're comfortable. I think I, I'm guessing that there is a racial component to it as well. I'm, I'm not sure. I appreciate you, like, you know, bring that up as a suggestion. In the way that I remember, the person was very, as, as we say, light-skinned. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that he was necessarily white. I'm going to guess that you guessed the uh, racial aspect because of the whole hair-touching thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is true that I, you know, I don't know where when I was five. Like, I don't really know how to describe it. It was like a twist class. But um, I don't I don't know like why that was I don't want to say fetish but that was the thing that he went for first. Mm. But I can't truthfully say if there was a racial aspect or not. Mm. I'll be quite honest. At age five, I actually couldn't comprehend the fact that there were other races than black and brown Mm. because I lived in a predominantly black county. Mm -hmm. So I actually didn't fully comprehend that. Oh, there are other people that exist who are not my color. Mm. So. Actually, I don't think I would have been able to tell, or I would have been very, like, like I would have been shocked by seeing someone who I didn't recognize, like, oh, this is my kind, if that makes sense. Right, right. It's a whole other topic I could go into, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge conversation, right? Because there is always that layer. There is the gender layer. There is also the racial layer. And unfortunately, it just permeates um, most of our lives as peoples of color, because unfortunately, there are still plenty of people who think of those with darker skin as somehow inferior for one reason or another, which those people make me think that they must not have kept up with the sciences, first of all. <laughs> just, and also just like, just, I don't know, I just a whole host of uh, things that there are not they don't they don't seem to belong to the century but yet here we are experiencing what we're experiencing now so it is obviously part of the century at the same time it just feels so antiquated i don't know if that makes sure. sense no it does make sense because i'm thinking of a rap lyric from one of my favorite artists and he's describing like the idea that you just described how these ideas should be um, antiquated, but they're still very much alive and well. And the line is, a Tharder fight was finished in 1964. Same hearts, same minds, same issues unfold. So 1964 is a reference to the civil rights movement. Right. So like after that, like, you know, after that um, civil rights act passed, oh yeah, um, black people, we're gonna have like total freedom. We're gonna get treated totally equally. But in reality, like, we got the same hearts of 
hatred and indifference in this century today. And the same issues are unfolding just in different ways in a more social media. Yeah, yeah, in different forums. I mean, now we get to see it more partly because of, of the police body cams, but mostly because of smartphones. Yes. So I think people are finally realizing, oh, that this has never gone away. You know, what people are telling us are true. Um, again, it's, it's sort of like um, this disconnect between people's experiences and what people will believe. But sometimes even what people see in front of them, they still don't believe. They want to explain it away in the way that squares with their own worldviews, right? Right, right. That makes you just wonder, you're like, do we not live in the same world? <laughs> in a way, we, yeah. we don't, because we each live in our own universe in many ways. And Correct. I, I think people struggle with stepping to the shoes of others even though it's like a quote that's like really just thrown around people really don't know how to do it well at all at all and it's really concerning you're like you're my fellow human race and you can't see the atrocity it is that someone was murdered in their own house by people who are supposed to protect us mm, there's something wrong so it's 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 horrible it's horrible it, it is Somehow people always want to make excuses, want to say, oh, she must have done something. Oh, if he only didn't have, you know, this is just like, um, and then I, I've had this conversation where I was talking with somebody. I was like, but yeah, you, you know, what about, what about all these white mass shooters? They somehow get apprehended after shooting many, many people, including adorable little white children. And they live. They get to live. Interesting indeed. And I have, I've seen many eye-opening social media posts where this idea like the, of like mass shooters are you know, juxtaposed to the um, recently, unfortunately, um, slaughtered African-American people. And it's just it's amazing how police treat mass murderers versus not the victims. It's amazing. So it's... It's sad. I'm using amazing sarcastically. It's sad. That's what it is. Right. Um, that we have two different justice systems under supposedly one nation. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It, it must be. It must be. And, and and when you were talking about, you know, being shot in, in one's own home, I, I, well, I, I'm assuming you're talking about Breonna Taylor. At least that's the latest correct. one. I was going to say, you know what? I should have said her name because that's, what, that's it. Say her name. Yes, yeah. In the middle of COVID, with so many frontline workers uh, are being from communities of color, and Breonna Taylor was what? Uh, uh, she was a war winning. <laughs> she got accommodations for her work as a <sighs> yeah, as a frontline worker. It's laughable, but that people think, oh, she must have done something wrong. Just seeing the proof that she was, you know, and seeing how she was serving her country, a country that works against her, nonetheless. And I just think that's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, just focus in there, like, I want to see her murderers hurt. And I think that's a mood across more than social media, just across the hearts of 
not even just black people, all people, people who see where justice needs to be served. And it'll be a celebration when it really happens. I have no idea what's taking so long, but it'll be great. Well, I... I it's only the first. Arresting is definitely only the first step. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason why she, it's taken so long is because she's a woman as well. Mm. I think gender definitely plays into that, unfortunately. It's, it's just, it, it's uh, very intersectional in, in many ways. Um, it's, it's not just her skin color, not just the fact of where she was living, the, the poverty, the, all of that, but also her gender. The other piece is that her her death was not broadcasted, which is another tragedy in itself that it needed to be broadcasted. Right, right. It's not something that she continuously um a show of sorts. Yeah. Where and I had to stop myself from doing this, where I just start to become numb to all the hashtags and all the footage. Just like, oh, another one, another memorialization that we're going to see on a social media post. Great. Like, I was just feeling really drained today when I learned about, I need to know her full name. Her first name is Vanessa. I believe her last name um, is Archie. Um, but she was someone who was in um, a military force who was yeah. horribly murdered. Yeah. And I especially resonated with her because, she, you know, allegedly, but I think it's true, um, that it was by someone who was sexually harassing her. Yeah, so, yeah. She was, a woman of, she was a woman of color. I can't tell you the exact uh, denomination, but I know she was a Latinx person. And I just think um, these are two people who, uh, her, two being her and Breonna Taylor, who served their country, who, again, was working against them, yet they were proud to do their, to do their job. And yeah. it's just saddening that these realities come out where they end up not alive. And of all the people who were working against them, it's all the justice that's not being served. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm really glad that they finally, maybe, hopefully, have found her remains, and uh, at least yeah, one of yeah. the suspects has been apprehended. So hopefully, something good will come out of that. But again, with her story, what I read was that she did not report being harassed because she didn't think anything would come of it. I really felt for her on that one. Yeah. Because part of the thing is that the military has a terrible record of dealing with sexual harassment, sexual assaults, so that people don't feel comfortable coming out with these uh, complaints. And had, had she felt comfortable enough to say something and had they done what was needed to be done, then she, hopefully she might have been alive. Yes, and I, I hope that you know, after her remains get found and, like, justice served her as well. Unfortunately, the alleged suspect is not alive. Um, well, I don't want to say unfortunate, but, you know, it's... It, well, it is unfortunate, because we, we want to know what happened. Okay, I mean, I, th- I think it is yeah, unfortunate. That's, that's exactly, exactly. I think none of those people should get away with just committing suicide. They should be standing trial. Right. And, yeah, it's going to... I mean, it's going to keep being twisted without the actual recollection. I absolutely hate that for her, that um, none of them are uh, around to tell us what really happened. And, you know, besides her, uh, her mother was able to give her account of what she had expressed. Right. And, uh, and, by the way, her last name is uh, Glittery. 
Gullen. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's G-U-I-L-L-E-N. I'm just saying that for the listeners, so um, you'll have to look it up. Yeah. Yes, I think that people do want to see an actual face that they can say, we do not support this, um, not support this kind of behavior. No matter how people might laugh off someone's discomfort or like, oh, you know, you're in the army, you should be able to like, like, no, no, she has the right to express her discomfort. Especially, once again, she's doing a simple act that any human being should be able to do, which is running. I mean, like, that's just uncomfortable. And that's horrible you can't just get that, like, mental health um, increase or, you know, makes you feel like physically healthy, healthy too, but you're afraid someone is, like, pushing your boundaries. Right. Actually, cross your boundaries. Right. right. So, I just felt for her on that, and I hope that that in some form of fashion. Yeah. He, with the branch of army or military she's on, and they need to get together. U.S. Army needs to be held accountable, as the nation says. Mm. So, it's, it's not laughable. It's not Oh, it's an actual important issue. These are people working for you, trying to help your country, yet you just scoot under the rug. And because you do, the person who experiences um, the discomfort scoots under the rug. And that kind of, I think, is a good like tie back around to my point in terms of if if the person experiencing it doesn't feel like their feelings will be valid, they will slowly start to internally destroy themselves. Right. And if it's not addressed, they can get literally hurt. And that was the unfortunate case of Miss Vanessa Bullen. So it hit a chord in my heart. Yeah. 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 It's absolutely understandable. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's there are so, so many women, so many women. And, and they're just, they become nameless. Because there are so many, and I keep I keep saying this, I keep saying this over and over. Women are the canary in the mines because if they had cared about women's rights, if they had cared about uh, the rights of marginalized people, if they had cared about people with disabilities, we would not have the president we have now. Period. Period. That's that's all that is that's all there is, and now we're going through a pandemic that has become a wildfire, has become an out of control wildfire because we elected this incompetent person who's violated so many boundaries, because we just said, you know, the people who voted for him just said, well, that is not of my concern. That's. Uh... That I totally understand what you were saying in terms of it's very, very interesting with having enough money, having enough ability to lie to people, having enough people who lie to themselves to back you up, how much you know, like, that's what you Yeah, yeah. And, and look how it's coming back to hurt us, right? Hurt all of us. It's not just the us that people who voted for him don't care about, but people who voted for him as well. Look at how it is coming back to hurt all of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I don't follow politics closely, closely, but I'm understanding that there may be a change in tide in terms of who will actually be running for 2020. But um, it's, <laughs> I, I, think we'll, I think we'll see. I think we'll see. I'm not sure if the alternative choices are better, <laughs> but I, I know. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. It's like, 
Oh yeah, we're getting a democratic version of Trump. Wonderful! Yay! <laughs> yeah. I, oh yeah! Oh my goodness! Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah, other candidates—they have stories too. They have stories, and it's just once again, like there's there's so many things to balance in terms of okay, most of the time they have a pretty good record in terms of you know they're trying to help. They show that they support in some cases, sometimes for political um, correctness. But you know, you want to give people credit when you do. You want to really, but if you just don't feel like they're actually being legitimate in their investment in oppressed individuals because of the background they come from, you're not going to really trust what they have quote unquote done for people in the past. Right, and, again, especially. Details they don't follow politics exactly, but I just think that general idea of like be careful when people say that they quote unquote care. Yeah. Yeah. When Biden went to meet George Floyd's daughter, the first thing I was looking for was a video of that encounter to see if he crossed her personal boundaries. I mean, even the picture that they supply the press was him putting an arm on the back of her chair, and I was like, "Why are you doing this? Who are you to her?" <laughs> you know, like that was the first thing I was looking for, and that is a sad statement because. This is our alternative choice. Uh, anyway, going back to poetry. I, people, yeah, I know, I know, right? Final comment. Some people think they're helping. Some people think they're being comforting. You don't know. You don't know. So, yeah, that's poetry. <laughs> so I picked my poem based uh, initially on just almost the last line of your poem, but really more about just arms in general, because the use of arms or how we view arms. But I, I see in our discussion that it probably has a lot more in relevance than I initially thought. So I'm going to read that now, and then we can discuss it. Okay. It's called Essential. Just a regular limb, never dressed in gold or glitter, but fragile interlocking patterns took the burden off of the core, supported me to break a fall, jacked me up despite its fractures, brought those I love closer, kept harm at bay with its length, flailed to show my happiness, raised an expression of my anger, First to defend facing danger, last to retract in frigid weather, sometimes a weapon, mostly a silent companion. The first thing I, I thought when I read this poem, which is great me, by the way, I thought that the more concrete explanation of arms compared to my poem. <laughs> but I appreciate what you said in terms of, you know, the poem is necessarily understood by everyone. But with this one, I definitely can tell that people could understand this one a, a little better. So I just admire that, wow, we really have through the, the many things of arms in many aspects of this piece. And then the other thing I thought was this, the narrator in this case, has a much more healthy relationship with her, his arms, or their arms, um, than I, I did. Because... I just, I only saw my arms as a weapon or something to move away from me. 
but this person, this person had so many different ways they could use their arms. So I just, I admired that too. I was just like, wow, I wish I could see my arms that way when I was going through depression and anxiety. But, you know, it's, I learned. I'm good. I'm better, I should say, now. Mm-hmm. So, I, so, yeah, those are my two comments, like, off the back. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. This is actually a second poem I wrote in a couple of poems that I pretty much wrote back to back, where the first poem I wrote was actually about, it has something to do with the coronavirus. It has also about uh, something to do with how we are looking at people, finally, people that we might have just dismissed in the past as essential workers. That's why the title Essential. And um, there was an imagery in the other poem where I talked about arms needing to be amputated because it was becoming gangrened, because it was unappreciated, uncared for. And then I... And that's why I wrote this poem, because I wanted to write a poem about the essentialness of arms. So even though it comes across as something that's very concrete, something whose meaning you can grasp pretty easily, at the same time, it has this other layer to it. Yeah, I, I appreciate knowing that background now, especially with the title Essential. And now noting that, I, I see it. That's a very subtle yet clever way of putting that idea of essential workers in there. So yeah, so that that was why I wrote this particular poem, even though um, I don't quite allude to the other poem, and it stands on its own, and it just seems to be about arms and how how useful they are, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. And I- already told me the background about the theme of essential workers or underlying theme rather but it in any case is this from a personal perspective as well yeah there there is definitely personal aspects of it because i i think also that essential workers are basically like arms that you don't think about necessarily and they're not they're not necessarily dressed in gold or glitter as i said in my second line but you know in in themselves this they might not be noticeable in your everyday life until you have to think about them consciously like you don't think about your arms the only time you think of your arms is if you hurt them basically (laughs) or if you lose them for some reason we only think of these parts of ourselves in the negative space, you know, uh, when they're hurt, as I said, when you lose them. So I thought it was kind of um, important for us to really look at how arms have been used. And so I just use my own experiences with my own arms. And I'm not like an athlete, so I don't use my arms to do sports. I mean, I don't, I don't even think of them when I'm writing with them. <laughs> You know, because without my arms, my hands wouldn't work. Amazing, right? Yeah, Yeah, I understand. I understand. (laughs) That's amazing. And, like, once again, I just admire how it can be seen from different perspectives perspectives and how, like you just mentioned, arms can be used for different reasons in terms of, you know, someone who is more into sports, like someone who plays basketball, like their arms are probably something they think about all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Something they treasure closely because, you know, when I watch 
happen at very rare times, just, I should say, when I watch basketball. Um, they have, like, beads on their arms. Yeah. And I guess it's for, like, sweat <laughs> or, like, protection or, like, it's a specific cast sort of thing, like, holding together their arm structure. So, I, like, I know they definitely think about their arms much more because they have to think about, okay, I have to angle, like, my arm this way to get that perfect shot. So I think that basketball players just have a totally different relationship with their arms compared to, like, a writer. Because, like you said, even, like, even I just thought about this. Like, I don't necessarily think about, wow, my arms are awesome when, like, I'm writing something out. Especially when I'm typing. Because, you know, when you're typing, you really are using your fingers. But your arms are supporting, like, your, you know, hands. Right. So I think it's, I definitely, like, see it from a different perspective. And I admit, like, now, not, not only do I see myself hugging myself, but I also see myself kind of, well, I'm not a painter. I see my arms doing artwork. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, I, I mean, even as I was saying before, <laughs> like, I, I didn't even include the fact that I use my arms in order to write poetry. <laughs> I didn't even include yeah, yeah, that in I my poem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was much more about sort of, like expressions of love expressions of well it, i guess it's much more direct because as both of us said we don't use our arms directly in terms of writing poetry or typing something but it, it, without the arms the hands wouldn't really work <laughs> so um right right i mean your line about being a silent companion is resonating with me because you don't think about it you're just like oh, if i didn't have these a lot wouldn't be happening right now so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I kind of chose it in the first instance because I wanted to give a different perspective on things. And I'm really glad that the subjects of our conversation that we touched on, they are relevant for both poems. Yes, I agree. I agree. And it, I mean it's just amazing again, I reemphasize the point that the perspectives of self-acceptance or self-awareness really is like the core core of it yeah so in in conclusion how do listeners follow you on social media instagram is at underscore a renee a-r-e-n-a-f-l-o-w like all together um after the underscore and you can find me on there that's mostly where i'm active great wonderful thank you very much for taking the time to share with me your poem and and your thoughts and, and what's going on with you. I really, really appreciate that. No problem. I really appreciated having this space. This was honestly really fun. Thank you for having me. As always, you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.